the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of Let's get it rolling right here. 
right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are strapped in, locked, loaded, and ready to go for another episode of this two-man power trip of wrestling podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP, John Paz, and John, returning to the show after a over four-year absence is a man who loves to knuckle up, a guy who loves to get in that ring or that cage, and he likes to snap people's ankles as we welcome in the world's most dangerous man, the one and only Ken Shamrock, coming back to the two-man power trip. It's been a long time, but Mr. Shamrock returns to talk about a couple big endeavors going on in his world. And uh, like I said, after four-plus years, a lot's gone on, but John... Same old Ken Shamrock, still uh, obviously ready to kick ass, take names, and with this new bare knuckle competition he's got going on, Valor Bare Knuckle, excuse me, he's got set to debut on the world September 21st. You guys had a great chat. Tell us what we have to look forward to today with the world's most dangerous man. Yes, been a pleasure talking to him and getting him back on. Huge legend in professional wrestling, huge legend and godfather of MMA. Awesome to get him on today. Speaking about bare knuckle, yes, like you said, Valor, a bare knuckle fighting September 21st live in North Dakota of all places. Yes, live and on pay per view in Newtown, North Dakota. Going to be a good one. And it's going to be a lot of names on that card. We do talk a lot about what, you know, bare knuckle is kind of bringing into the fold, how it's becoming more and more popular. Old school-wise, many years ago, it was very popular. Now it's starting to come back into the fold, becoming very popular. You're seeing a lot of big names from the MMA world join Bare Knuckle Fighting, and you'll definitely see a lot of recognizable names in Valor Bare Knuckle Fighting. We talk about, basically, we run down the card for you know what it's worth. Obviously, if you pay attention to Valor Bare Knuckle, the fans will have a lot to do of what the card will become. So definitely pay a lot of close attention to them on social media and on their website, because you will be a huge role and play a huge factor into the card. The, the names are there, but the fans will help decide who is fighting who. I mean, there's a, a lot of great fighters on the card. We talk about Sokuju and Mighty Mo and just some other real, you know, big name guys that you would definitely recognize from the world of MMA. And we talk about the difference between bare knuckle and MMA. How come some guys are successful on that, but not in the other and vice versa. So it's very interesting to kind of play that. And we also talk about, will Ken actually get in there and fight originally big time rumor was him against fellow MMA legend, Mark Coleman, but that is not happening. That is not the case. Just a rumor. Ken is just the president. He's just one of the owners. He will not actually be fighting. So don't, you know, don't go crazy thinking that uh, Ken at, 50 plus years old is going to get back in and be bare knuckle fighting. Although I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility, but you definitely will see him impact wrestling wise wrestling soon. We talked about in the interview, a lot of trash talk with Moose, a lot of trash talk with Brian cage, a lot of these guys looking for a snap crackle and pop. If you know what I mean, Chad. So it's definitely a great interview. Talk about a lot of things and, Valor Bare Knuckle is one part of it, but also Impact Wrestling, these trash-talking guys that might be a little bit jealous of the Attitude Era guys. You know, they're they're not quite uh, as popular. Maybe they're trying to make their names off those guys. We do talk about that, and we kind of get Ken's opinion on what he thinks about these guys. It's so crazy to to see Ken in the in the mix here. 
at Impact, and I think that it's really cool. I think it's a long time kind of like uh, in the making because obviously his ties to the early days of NWA TNA, but seeing what's going on with him and Moose, it's such a great fit for him at this point when you think of those guys from the Attitude Era that we get to see, you know, on the WWF side, or excuse me, WWE side of things, it's all the same guys. It's the same retreads every single time there's a reunion. It's the same people coming in and out. This one intrigues me. This one is is very cool because Ken Shamrock still looks like he can kill somebody. And seeing that physical specimen that Moose is, great little mix we got coming on here. And I think that Ken Shamrock getting back in the ring there with Impact Wrestling is, is giant news in my opinion. Uh, but John, I mean, are you surprised to see him back in the mix with a company like Impact Wrestling? A little bit surprised. It kind of threw me off when I started seeing all these guys trash talking them and stuff. I immediately had my eyes, you know, wide open, looking around, waiting to see you know, what the next turn was going to be because it's kind of random. Like, okay, Brian Cage and Moose and all these guys start jumping on Shamrock. So it's like, well, either he's on his way into, into Impact or they're really trying to stretch it, make a name for themselves. And almost try to get the rub from him via social media, which you see so many guys do with Cornette. I mean, we see week in and week out. And, you know, he kind of goes into it. Obviously, he rips into the guy. But by ripping into them, he is kind of giving them the rub a little bit. So I feel like they were trying to do that with Shamrock as well, trying to rattle his cage and rattle the barn and see if Ken would respond. And obviously he did. But then I was also thinking, I was like, man he must be responding for a reason. It could be his comeback. And then, boop, all of a sudden, he is back with Impact Wrestling. Very, um, I wouldn't say shocking move on their part, but uh, smart, but surprising move on their part. Like you said, the original NWA TNA world champion, he beat Malice the first ever show. He wins the NWA world title. He you know, wasn't on that many cards, and he made his brief return in 2004, part of uh, Jarrett's camp there when he had all those guys that the Jared army and it was kind of brief and this, and that is weird. So it's like, man, he should just return to impact. He still can wrestle. He's still in great shape. This is Ken Shamrock, you know, an absolute legend. And we'll see what he's got. And like he said, many, this is about 15 years later. He's making his return to the company. I feel like he could have made his return 10 years ago or you know, whatever the case may be, but he definitely should have been there probably sooner. But I guess it, you know, if you're getting them at all, it's very good that you're getting them now and pretty happy that he is making his return because like you said there's so many retreads so many guys coming in and out constantly it's the same thing same recycled rehashed storylines and this is completely different it's completely refreshing and we're actually going to get to see a great in shape ken shamrock against the monster moose or maybe even the machine brian cage so i'm definitely looking forward to that and you know whether you think oh he's older now or does he still have it just look at his social media just look at what kind of shape he's in he could still go and believe me he's still the world's most dangerous man he totally is and and we went back i looked at this before we started recording when we had him on last we had him in in march of 2015 and like going back to see like what we were as interviewers back then it's like kind of cringeworthy so we're going to throw something on here at the end of this interview. I don't know what it's going to be yet. I got to kind of sift through the, uh, the the sands of, of time here and see what uh, what sounds best. There's going to be something after this interview to give you a little bit of an Easter egg and a little something to help you along with your Ken Shamrock fix after we uh, we get the interview rolling. But, John, I mean, if you think back along the pro wrestling side of Ken Shamrock's career and when he came to the WWF, in 97 and it was like such a turning of the corner and he got such a great push and obviously he helped make the rock 
who the rock is in uh in 1998 you know and then the great feud with vader and then a lot of the awesome stuff he did along with the corporation i uh, ken shamrock has got such an underrated pro wrestling history that i hope this impact wrestling time really helps kind of close the door on the uh, the pro wrestling career, but man, those years in the Attitude Era, he was really one of those guys that helped change what the WWF was from that leaving the new generation, that 97 murky area that became the Attitude Era, and I think Ken Shamrock, you slap him right there in the middle, he was a huge part of that renaissance. Yeah, I feel like maybe sometimes overlooked or maybe forgotten because of such big names like Stunkle Steve Austin, The Rock, The Undertaker, Mick Foley, Kane, you know, you get all those huge names and that those huge main event players. But Ken Shamrock really probably could have and should have been a, a big main event player along with that. But he was such a key, vital role player, obviously Intercontinental Champion, obviously Tag Team Champion with the Big Boss Man. And he did play such a pivotal role in getting The Rock over. That feud was great. And he really, really kind of cemented The Rock as, you know, the next guy and really helped him along. But I think people always forget, like, man, when he came in and he feuded with Vader and that match was awesome and he just kept having great matches and, you know, feuded with Bulldog and, you know, feuding a little bit with Shawn Michaels and kind of moving up ranks. Like, man, this guy is so smooth. He transitioned from MMA so smoothly. Well, you probably forget he was a pro wrestler first, so he really knew everything. Then he went into MMA. So there you go, a successful pro wrestler to MMA. Some other guys can't quite make that leap. Some guys can. Ken Shamrock, obviously... One of the godfathers of MMA made a pretty easy transition from pro wrestling to MMA and dominated that world. But then you go into the WWF and enter that attitude era, and he just was he was so great and he was so good. And he just when you looked at the roster of WCW and then you looked at WWF, it's like, man, you know, oh, they got all these big names on top. And then you look at WWF, so consistent, so many great guys, so many great talents. He almost got lost in the shuffle a little bit, but not really when you really think about it, when you're a really good fan. Because you go through the few with The Rock. You go through the few with Owen Hart. You, you know, you go through some of the matches with him and Bossman together as a team. And him winning the Intercontinental title, so memorable. And in, in the biggest point in history of the business, pretty much. The Attitude Era against the, you know, the WCW Monday Nitro Era with the Monday Night Wars. He played such a pivotal and, ma- pivotal, excuse me, and major role for the WWF. I just loved it. And, and thinking back... Not only was his run, you know, in, in the WWF great, and his wrestling career was great. You just kind of think about him and how he invented some submission holds, really made him popular, and probably isn't getting the credit he deserves for creating some of those submission holds, like the ankle lock, which was you know lifted, so to speak, by Kurt Angle. Yeah, and, and at that point, it was not very far after Shamrock had left the company that they gave that ankle lock. To angle, so that in itself was a kind of taboo uh, to think about at the time. But yeah, he was such a uh, such a cool, like just new character. He kind of gave new life to the baby face because like he was kicking guys' asses, and he's a good guy. So it was really, uh, it was just, it was so different at that point when he came in in '97 and really made his mark in that first match with Steve Austin and Bret Hart. But if you can, I'll put you on the spot. Give me. Mm, two Ken Shamrock matches that you want people to go out and check out uh, after listening to this interview? Well, I guess you could just do the um, the King of the Ring 98 just to see kind of a big culmination of kind of where he was headed at that point, getting a big push, beating The Rock for the King of the Ring. Everyone thought The Rock was going to win, and they kind of throw the curveball. 
and Ken wins. I just think that's a big kind of earmark for him, just a big moment for him in the WWF, uh, winning the King of the Ring in 98. But also, I really encourage you, you almost have to watch the Vader match from In Your House, Cold Day in Hell from 1997. One of the best matches, obviously it's probably the match of that, that card and the match of the night, but one of the best matches that they had in quite a while there. After Austin and Brett at WrestleMania, which he obviously was a referee for, you know, they, they're they kind of going along, going along, you know, have a good matches here and have a good matches there, but nothing that was kind of eye-popping. That was almost like, all right, WCW's having these amazing cruiserweight matches. WCW's doing this. Like, what can you kind of bring some attention with? And they took some realism. It was like, man, holy shit, Shamrock and Vader killing each other. That, you know, that was a fake match. That was a fake match. But Vader versus Shamrock, shit, that was real. Those guys killed each other. Like, oh, my God. You know, talk about strong style. Talk about stiff. Like, that was real. So, Highly, highly encourage everyone to watch Cold Day in Hell 97, Vader versus Ken Shamrock, because that match was absolutely awesome. And then just the third one, just throw it out there because he was a part of it. You got to watch the main event, uh, the uh, Canadian Stampede, Austin's team versus the Hart Foundation. Yeah. Got to watch that as well. Yeah, that's great. And hey, how about the feud with Owen Hart? Huh? How about that? Talk oh, about yes. that as a yes. underrated gem. Summer of '98 with uh, Dan Severn in the mix and Steve Blackman in the mix. The uh, the Lions Den match at SummerSlam '98. The match in the dungeon <laughs> at full. Technically, it was at fully loaded, but it was in the Hart basement. I mean, mm-hmm. again, so many great parts of that Attitude Era revolved around Ken Shamrock. And lest we forget the chair shot heard around the world when The Rock. Smack the face off of Ken Shamrock in the middle of their feud in '97. I gotta tell you something. If you close your eyes and you hear that thud, you would think somebody got hit by a truck. That was uh, the shot heard around the world. Just shows you the absolute <laughs> toughness uh, of Ken Shamrock. I mean, just shows it to you right there. Absolutely does. Yeah. So look forward to that in this interview. It's going to be a great chat. We'll talk a little of his uh, his MMA endeavors as well as the wrestling future. But lest we forget again, the Valor Barrett Knuckle event that's taking place on Saturday, September 21st from the Four Bears Casino and Lodge in Newtown, North Dakota. Please support Ken Shamrock and everything he's got going on and also check him out in Impact Wrestling coming up here. So, hey, there's not much else to do except let's close it up nicely here. Let's hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of a wrestling business and let's knuckle up and get it on over to the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, 
a former WWE Intercontinental and World Tag Team Champion, a UFC Super Fight Champion, and a UFC Hall of Famer. He is the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. Enjoy. The man known as the world's most dangerous man. Obviously, he's a UFC Hall of Famer and a super fight champion, a former WWE Intercontinental as well as World Tag Team Champion, former NWA World Champion, former King of Pancreas. He is basically the man. He is Ken Shamrock. Ken, welcome to the two-man power trip. Hey, thank you for having me. Obviously, you I mean... All those accolades, you got so much going on right now in your personal life, but I mean, what a career. Let's talk today about Valor, bare-knuckle fighting. You got a huge show coming up in September. Let's first start off talking about what, what's going on and what your product is going forward with Valor. Yeah, um, I fell in love with bare-knuckle way back in the beginning when the whole spark came out. Then, of course, it got taken away with putting gloves on, trying to make it safer, so-called safer. So I always thought to myself, if I had the opportunity, I was going to bring it back. So me and my business partner, Des Woodruff, uh, started doing some research, looking at trends and how things were going, and all these little bare-knuckle organizations started coming up, and the things that were on the social media sites were getting huge hits. And so we said, well, let's let's do it. Let's watch and see what these guys do, see the good and the bad things that are happening, and then uh, let's throw our hat over the fence and... And let's do it. Let's start out uh, with the professional organization, with uh, top little fighters, and, and let's make a statement in bare knuckle with Valor. So that's how it kind of got started was my love for it. And then, of course, Des did some research on it. Next thing you know, we're sitting here getting ready to launch four weeks out, man, getting ready to launch a very professional organization with some top-quality fighters. I love it. Uh, bare knuckle is becoming popular again, like you said. And obviously, with you kind of spearheading it, it's going to get a lot of attention. A lot of more people are going to get interested. What is going to go on as far as scouting some talent? Obviously, you got a lot of good heavyweights and a lot of name qualities. Is that what you kind of wanted to go for at first? Some some guys that'll you know pique some interest of some casual fans. 
Yeah, you know, we want kind of a mixture too. Like, we want to make sure we have some boxing in there. We got Ishi in there. Um, you know, we got some MMA guys. Uh, you know, that have been around a while with uh, good backgrounds, good experience, good records. Um, we got some guys from England. We got people from uh, different uh, countries. So we wanted a wide variety of different type of style of fighting, and also people from different countries. And this big show will be going on Saturday, September 21st, at the uh, For Bears Casino down in Newtown, North Dakota. Is that something where it's going to be hard to kind of get certain locations? Is it legal some places, not legal in other places? Well, I, I think that it's just it's it's a matter of education. It's a matter of the acceptance starting to roll out now already. You already said that, you know, it's starting to pick up, so... Other states have already reached out to us and asked us if we wanted to do the, the you know, the very first bare knuckle show when they open up their states. So I think that it's starting to roll out. People are starting to see the, the science behind it, starting to see the safety as far as not what, what has been said as far as not being safe. That's just not true. And I think people are starting to realize that. So they're starting to open it up to a lot of different states. And what will kind of set you guys apart from some other bare knuckle fighting leagues that have been popping up? Well, first of all, I think uh, you look at our card, I think we're going to have a lot uh, from top to bottom. We're going to have a lot more qualified fighters um, all the way through the card, not just one or two fights. Um, all the way through the card, we're going to have really uh, top talent fighters, guys that have good reputations, good backgrounds, and, uh, and quality fighters. So I think that's one part of it. The second part of it is I think that our production team, uh, the way that people will be able to watch the fight, uh, I think we go to another level where we step in in the void that the UFC left because they went on to ESPN. We're going to step into that void that they left in the pay-per-view market. We got all the same kind of coverages that the UFC was that they had when they were in that pay-per-view market. So I think that we have one a better a better professional-run organization from top to bottom, and I think that you're going to see the class of fighters is going to be a little bit different. And as far as you know. Where where you could see a pay per view and, and things like that, and you making announcements. What was the, the big announcement that you made about the heavyweights? Um, we were going to allow the fans, and we did that yesterday, um, to be able to match the first round of the tournament. The fans will be able to pick which fighters they want to fight each other, and the most uh, ones that pick the most, the, those fighters will then fight each other in the first round. So the fans get to be involved in that tournament. Very, very cool. And you got some good names as far as some heavyweights out there. I mean, everyone should know So Could You, obviously, Mighty Mo, Godbeer, uh, McSweeney. So, I mean, these, these are some name-quality guys that you may know from the MMA world, right? Absolutely. You know, these all guys, these guys all got good credentials. But the one thing that, that stands out to me and that is very interesting to me as a fighter is can these guys transition bare, from whatever they were doing into bare knuckle? Because bare knuckle is a different beast. It's not the same as a boxer. Boxers used to have bigger gloves to block punches. So now they have to use their feet more and their movement more not to be able to use their hands to block because you're not going to be able to because punches are going to get through, so you've got to use your footwork. Can they transition uh, you know, into that, that bare knuckle? Can MMA? Can they transition? Can, uh, you know, that's what, that's, that to me is what the most interesting thing is, is whether or not these guys can transition into bare knuckle. That will be very interesting to see because, you, you know, you see a guy like 
Chris Lieben, who was out there doing bare knuckle, was kind of had a, a step up in a lot of these guys. And you would think that maybe he, he wouldn't. So that is a very interesting point that some guys are going to be able to adapt and transition a lot better from the different variations of different sports that they're doing. And I think it's also a mindset, too. Is some guys are able to adapt a lot quicker than, than some. So some guys are just great athletes, and they're able to adapt into the world that they're in very quickly. Now, as far as you, I mean, that's always on everyone's mind, you know, that they think of you as the fighter. Obviously, you know, you're, you're the boss and you're in charge, but I think so many people think of you as the fighter and the legend and, and everything. What about you kind of stepping back in there? Well, you know, I, I signed up, you know, I'm, uh, I'm an owner of it, one of the owners of it, and that uh, I'm, I'm the president, and I'm not going to be able to, at least I feel like I want to be able to give opportunities to these young guys coming up, opportunities to be able to follow their dreams, to be able to fight, and for me to be able to live my own dream, because I love Bare Knuckle, and I want to be able to have these guys be able to experience what I experienced, so I won't be stepping in there. I'm going to be the president. I'm going to stay in my lane and do my job. <laughs> <laughs> there was, I guess, a rumor out there. Maybe he started the rumor that Mark Coleman was going to be a part of it. And he was going to get into it and that, you know, the two legends of MMA were going to get in there. Was that ever, you know, ever thought of or ever a possibility? No, that was just some trash talk, me and him having some fun with it. It was nothing serious. Now, as far as you staying officially retired from MMA, are you officially done fighting MMA as well? Yes, uh, I'm, I'm out. I'm doing pro wrestling now, and I'm working on Valor BK. Awesome. And I've, I've noticed in social media lately, a lot of guys kind of, for whatever stupid reason, uh, you know, Moose and Brian Cage, a little bit of trash talking from these Impact Wrestling guys. Yeah, you know, when it's pro wrestling, you know, I always like to chime in and have some fun with these guys and uh sometimes it might get a little serious and they might get they might get me out of my chair and have to come and put a beat on them. <laughs> I don't know if these guys quite realize you know, what they're saying. You know what I mean? I mean, they may be big guys and Moose may have been an NFL player and Brian Cage may be in great shape, but do you think they know kind of what they're getting into when they're when they're kind of trash talking like that? I think they know what they're doing, you know. I mean, they're not dumb, but I also know that when it comes face-to-face, uh, it'll be a little different story. So, um, But they're on social media. Everybody's brave. Of course. And I always find it in- interesting that, you know, with a lot of these newer guys, they keep coming at you know with the Attitude Era guys. They keep coming after them. Why do you think that is? Is it because, obviously, that's when everyone was watching and, and you guys have the most name value, or is there something else at, at play here? It's jealousy, man. They know we were, they know we were the bomb, so they, they're jealous. It is crazy that they're saying, oh, you know, the Attitude Era is dead. I mean, obviously, the Attitude Era was 20 years ago or so, but those are the names that so many casual fans still recognize and quote, still gravitate to it that is you know that's the big era of wrestling that was so huge it, it broke records absolutely and i you know when when people are successful and people have names uh other people that are trying to reach that mountaintop want to latch onto those names and try to make a name for themselves off of those names when you were in the the wwf obviously we mentioned before intercontinental champion tag team champion but getting into WWF, I don't think people realize you were actually a pro wrestler first and then an MMA fighter. Do you find that a lot of people kind of get it opposite? They thought MMA first, then wrestling? Yeah, I do, because um, it was so long ago, and I went under Vince Torelli. 
So I think that they missed that era. Like, they don't know that that's who I am. At that point, how did, like, how did you get in at that point when you were Vince Torelli? Like, who was training at, at, at that juncture? Yeah, I'd actually done some stuff with Buzz Sawyer in Sacramento at the time, and that, that kind of fell through. So then I went up and uh, started training with Nelson uh, Royal and Gene Anderson up there in Mooresville, North Carolina, and that's really where I learned how to wrestle. And was wrestling kind of your first love, or, or were you always hoping and thinking that MMA was going to come around and you, that you'd like to do that? Well, no, football is something that I did. That's something that uh, I had a chance uh, to really play NFL, um, and then I had the opportunity to kind of uh, veer off and go do some wrestling, so I chose to do that. But I did, like I said, I did have a really good opportunity to play pro ball, with, and, and Chargers were one of the ones that I had gotten a letter from um, early on in my obviously younger days. But, uh, yeah, so it was something I was interested in. I, my first love was football. That is great, and obviously you changed gears, went to pro wrestling, had you know, some success there, but then you, you really go to Japan and, and become the king of, king of Pancrates and become huge, and that's kind of how you really made a name for yourself. When you're kind of going through it and you're creating the sport, what is that like? Because you're really kind of you know, setting the tone for what would be a billion-dollar business. Yeah, absolutely. Um Man, it was a great, like I said, it was a great time, and being able to be some of those guys during that attitude there was an awesome privilege and an opportunity. But to set the standard, uh, I mean, you really don't even think about it. You're just going through the motions. You're trying to be great now. Hey, let's pause one second to tell you all about the benefits of using Blue Chew. Guys, remember the days when you were ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom with a little help from the Triple Threat Podcast and the two-man power trip. So listen up, bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they are chewable, they work up to twice as fast as any other pill so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, if you know anything about our show, we've always got to be ready. But with Blue Chew, if you can benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, then Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com, get your first shipment for free when you use the promo code FRANCHISE and just pay $5 shipping. Again, use the promo code FRANCHISE and pay just $5 shipping. Again, it's bluechew.com, B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and try it for free, courtesy of your friends over at the two-man power trip of wrestling and the Triple Threat Podcast. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, and faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring our podcast. And, man, what a career. I mean, do you think about first King of Pancrase, then really – you're starting modern MMA in, in the United States. You, you have the, the Hoist Gracie feud. You become the super fight champion, I mean, which is really the first real heavyweight champion in UFC. At that point, is, you know, is that a big honor that you're the champion? Or like you said, you're just trying to, trying to do your thing and become great because the King of Pancrase and UFC really started to make a big name for yourself. Yeah, because it's like if you ever turned around and started to celebrate your belt that you won – then the, then the next thing you know, you're losing fights. So I was always winning belts uh, wherever I went, but it was like, where's the next challenge? I wasn't ready to stop and celebrate. 
And I think a lot of people remember the feud with Hoist Gracie and that kind of being like one of the big head first headliners. And then Dan Severn, obviously, as well. I mean, what were your thoughts on, on early UFC as far as talent level and really showing all your skills? Yeah, the UFC was different, though. Like Japan, you had to really be well-rounded because they stood you up. You got a rope escape. So you had to be good at striking. You had to be good on the ground because you know you were going to be there. So I really believe that UFC, you could be a great wrestler and you could hold people down and ground and pound them, and you could, you could not, you, especially during that time, you, you didn't get exposed because there was only a couple guys like myself and Hoist that could expose you on the ground. So a lot of the guys, all they had to do was be good wrestlers and be able to punch you on the ground, and they could win. That is a great point. And obviously in Japan against, you know, Boss Rudin or, or Suzuki or Maury Smith, you're fighting all these different guys, but it can go a lot of different ways. And you guys were really kind of the first guys that knew ground game. You knew the striking. You know, you had like a complete game. Now in, in modern MMA, it seems like everybody kind of doesn't have a specialty. They kind of just have that complete game. And you guys were the first ones to really do that. Well, think about this. Everybody that was in Pancras that fought in the UFC won. Yes. Yep. Yeah, look at uh, yourself and Boss Rutten, for sure. And Maury Boss Smith. Rutten, yep. Maury Smith. Yeah. Yep. I mean, the, the list goes on. Frank Shamrock. I mean, Frank, the list yep. goes on. Yep. So true. You guys definitely set it off and were kind of the, the originators. You know, I mean, you really were complete complete fighters is that always something that you wanted to strive to be not just a specialist do you want to be a complete fighter absolutely i stressed that early on and i remember in an interview before um if anybody ever knew that striking was going to be uh, needed i said early on even when grappling was winning and i said you know uh you're going to have to be well-rounded at stand-up and the ground in order to compete in this years down the road and that was way back, you know, in 95 and 96, um, I made those statements, and that was before people, that's before the strikers started to win. And another thing that I don't even know if you realize you did, it was like, you had charisma, you had, you know, maybe it's from pro wrestling, but you you had like a a star quality that a lot of the other guys, quite frankly, didn't have. Is that something that that was important to you, Kind kind of making yourself a huge star as well? It was. I, I thought that I, my my interest to the fans was that I was. I never wanted to let anybody down. I wanted to make sure that the fans enjoyed my fighting. I know it's weird because a lot of fighters say they don't care what the fans think, which is probably a good thing, right? Mm-hmm, but I yeah. did. I did. I cared about how my fights went and whether or not the fans were watching me. I saw the importance to that early on about you have to be different than everybody else. You've got to want the fans to want to see you fight, or otherwise you're not going to be there. You could be good, but if you lose one fight, you're gone because they're looking for people to come in and buy tickets. And I I, I understood that really early on. And you were definitely a huge, huge draw throughout your career, you know, like I said, against whether it's Severin or Hoist Gracie, but really kind of, the the trilogy fight or you know the real thing that kind of that people i think forget that brought ufc really into the mainstream was the feud with tito ortiz yes that was the mainstream where we got on the best damn sports show it started to be going on mainstream tv um and it really opened up a lot of doors for the ufc 
Now, what were your kind of your thoughts on Tito? Real hatred or, or building up a little bit to kind of make sure that this fight gets as much, you know, popularity and mainstream attention as it was going to get? No, it was because I was really so frustrated at myself, not necessarily him, even though he was the one that took the brunt of it, because I, I couldn't, I wasn't as good as I used to be, and I kept trying to push myself to be that good, but I was, I was long in the tooth, I was older, and I just felt like I could beat him. I knew I could beat him, and yet I couldn't, I couldn't beat him. Yeah, he was definitely in his prime, and obviously your prime was probably a little bit before that, but it, it, as far as UFC is concerned in the numbers, you guys really set off UFC for a bit there, and you guys were doing big numbers, and that was really the first time their pay-per-views were actually, you know, really, really sought after. Yes, and it, I, it, I mean, there's always arguments about what did what, but there's no doubt in my mind that the Tito and the Shamrock trilogy is what built the UFC. I totally agree, and I always thought that, and I felt like whether you know you do it intentionally or not, or however it's set up, it's almost like pro wrestling. You made Tito Ortiz a star, whether you know you meant to or not. Right, exactly, and and I and I knew that too going into it that I was the older fighter. They couldn't lose on this one. If I won, I'm still the star. If I lose, they created a young star. Very much like the pro wrestling world, right? I mean, it's very, very similar. Kind of the uh, the godfather of pro wrestling. It's passing the torch, right? It's an mm-hmm. obligation. Um, I didn't want to walk away without making sure that I gave everything that I got. And then if I didn't have anything left, I made sure that I passed the torch on to someone else. And I think a lot of the fans out there, like we were talking about before, Attitude Era and things like that, so many people remember you from signing with Vince McMahon's WWF and, and starting out not only as a referee for Bret Hart versus Steve Austin, which so many people remember as one of the greatest matches of all time, but the In Your House 97 match, Cold Day in Hell versus Vader. Did a lot of people still bring that up to you, how awesome that match was and kind of a great debut for the WWF that really was? It was, and it does get brought up a lot because – um, and people talked about it because they thought that it was a shoot. I mean, even the boys in the locker, when we went back there, they kept asking if we were okay. It was like, what are you talking about? Like, um, So me being as green as I was, not having the experience there, and to be able to put on a match where people were asking if you were okay, I was pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs> Say the least. Right. I think that Vader... It was like kind of kind of the perfect opponent for you too. I mean, big guy could take a beating. Uh, you know, very very good worker. Was he kind of that that perfect opponent for you when you when you started? Yeah, I thought they matched me well because it gave me an opportunity to go in there and get comfortable. You know, because I didn't have to worry about whether or not if I if I touched him that he was going to whine about it. And so I really appreciated that the thought that they put into that to give me him my first match because I didn't have to think about a whole lot. I just went out and just, I was just me, you know, obviously we weren't trying to, to hurt each other, but we were sparring, right? We were touching each other. We were making sure you knew we were there. And that's kind of what we did was we just sparred. We went after one another and we sparred. So I was really appreciative that um, they put me with him because it, I think anybody else, I think it might've been a disaster because they, they probably would have crawled under the ring and quit. Yeah. They, they would have for sure been, scared of you a little bit too i mean world's most dangerous man is not just a, not just a gimmick exactly and i've thumped with them a little bit and they don't know the difference between what i do and what they do and they're thinking i'm trying to hurt them it's 
it was such a cool thing to kind of have you debut for them because it, it changed things up. I mean, a lot of people didn't know you were a wrestler beforehand, but it just was like, wow, a legitimate guy is in there. And it just elevated everyone in the WWF at that point and, and just added to that roster. You had, you know, the Bret Hart's of the world, the Shawn Michaels of the world. You know, eventually you feud with a guy like The Rock. I mean, at that point, their talent roster was so great. Did you think that going in, were you like, you know, smart to the business as far as like, well, you know, they got you know, a, lot of, a lot of good guys that I can work with here. Um, not necessarily. Uh, uh, ask that question again. Like, did you, when you went in, did you know like who was good, who wasn't like, okay, Shawn Michaels is a good wrestler. I, you know, that's going to make me elevate my game or, you know, I like this kid, the rock. I see some potential in him or maybe even like a Bret Hart, like, well, you know, Bret Hart, you know, he's a great wrestler as well. You know, WWF has a lot of guys to work with. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing that I noticed was I've got an opportunity to work with um, a lot of guys, a lot of top talent. And, um, I appreciate that. And I, I think a lot of it had to do was I was able to transition from the Vader match uh, and then trans in, transition into pro wrestling without um, running people off because none of those top guys would have worked with me if I would have still had the same kind of match that I was having with Vader. They would have said, no, you know, we'll pass. But I really believe that I had to, a, a great first match and I was able to understand what was what was okay and what wasn't okay. Absolutely. And so many people remember your feud with The Rock. You both, you know, got over big with that. And also, great feud with Owen Hart. That was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, he's a tremendous person, um, great athlete, good hand. I love working with him, along with his brother, Brett. Those guys, you know, they, they just really enjoyed working with those guys. Now, when you win the Intercontinental title and you obviously you win the tag title with Big Boss Man, you become a dual champion at one point. You mean you get a big push kind of on top of the world there. Is that important to you? Does that mean anything? Like to us as fans, like, wow, this is awesome. This is great. But to you yourself, does that mean a lot to be champion? Absolutely. Um, it does because it, it really kind of puts an explanation point on the desire for you to be great. Um, you Now you're recognized as being great. Same thing with the Hall of Fame. Uh, you want to make sure that you're recognized as being great in in that in your career, not just in 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 front of the fans, but in your career. And I think the Hall of Fame does that. I think the belt basically solidifies that you're right now in front of the fans the best, and that puts you on top of the hill, and everybody's trying to knock you off. You are a UFC Hall of Famer, and I, and I know you talked about this before. Do you want to be in the WWF Hall of Fame? Are you surprised? Actually, WWE, really. Are you surprised you're not in the WWE Hall of Fame? Is that something that weighs on your mind? Yeah, I want to be in. I mean, I like I said, that like I said, it's the exclamation point on a career. And I thought I did enough to change wrestling. And if you can change the way people do things in your sport, then you have done something very, very great, and you should be recognized for that in the Hall of Fame. Um, so I thought that I'd done enough. Um, there was no tap outs before me. Um, there was very little submissions. Now it's in every single match. Uh, so I think that, yeah, you know, I did a lot there. And I was able to um, have some great matches, work with all the top talent. Am I surprised? I, don't, I think I'll be surprised if, if I don't get in in the next five years. I'll be surprised. I don't know about now. Uh, being surprised because I think that it is a process. Um, but I will be very shocked and very upset if I'm not the first one 
to go in that crossed over from MMA or MMA into wrestling if I'm not the first one that goes in? I think you definitely should be there. But, but it's weird with the Hall of Fame. They say, like, kind of Vince just picks it on a whim. So sometimes people that deserve to be in, maybe that person's not on his mind. It, have you heard that? Like, it's just almost like whoever Vince kind of thinks of that day is, is going to be in the Hall of Fame? Well, it would be, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think so. I think they would have to have a panel of some sort and then talk about names. And, uh, you know, I mean, it may happen like that, but it just doesn't seem like that would be the way that, that Vince would go about business. And also, you know, you mentioned tap outs and submissions that, you know, the, the ankle hold, I mean, that became big, obviously, from Kurt Angle, but uh, can't forget that you're the one that made that, you know, popular and you're, you innovated it. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because they always show the, the best submission holds and they always got Kurt Angle doing the ankle lock, even though he can't do it like I do it. He doesn't do it right. Right. <laughs> 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 It's so uh, so right on that, and it's so uh, accurate. But uh, as we you know head towards the wind down, we head towards the finish line. You've had such an amazing career, pro wrestling and MMA. Is that just a, an impossible thing to kind of pull off? To what you were able to do with your career, if you think about it, looking back, because to do both you know, is, is extremely hard to do one and be successful is extremely hard. You're able to be successful in both, you know, looking back is, is it just, you know, amazing that you're able to be on the top of both games? Yeah, it is. I mean, um, cause they're quite the opposite, right? So yeah, it, yeah it, it would be really hard to make the transition, but I don't know. There's just something in my brain that allows me to understand the difference between, you know, entertainment and real. As far as pro wrestling, do you have some favorite matches? Like, I, I know I, I mentioned, like, Owen and The Rock and, and, and obviously the match Vader, but do you have some other favorite matches you've had throughout your career? Yeah, you know, like I said, I think The Rock and me had a great program. I think King of the – or not King of – yeah, King of the Ring, um, where we got to have that match um, in the tournament there. I really I, – that was one of my favorites because that, that just – right there just made me feel like I had – I have – I've I'm here and I'm here to stay. Um, so it really made a, a, a great point to the fans and to everybody there and to myself that I, I wasn't here for a short time, that I was important to the organization. Absolutely. King of the Ring 98, that was a big win, and obviously that means a lot, especially at that point, because everyone that wins the King of the Ring, you know, Steve Austin's of the world, the Triple H's of the world, uh, Bret Hart, I mean, it, it is a big deal to be the King of the Ring in the WWF. Yes, and so I was really honored that I got that. And, and, and I was quite shocked that I got it because I would have thought that The Rock would have won it. Yeah, that is very true, who was obviously destined for greatness himself, obviously. Right. Now, what would you say is kind of, you know, the, the biggest misconception about Ken Shamrock? Oh, I think that the way that I enter in the ring and the way that I conducted myself uh, – as a fighter, um, I think a lot of people have a misconception of how mean I am or, uh, you know, that I'm just one of the, a beast or something like that. But I'm, I'm actually a really nice person. Um, yeah, I think that's a misconception. I think people don't realize that I'm, I'm a pretty soft guy. And it's hard to believe. The world's most dangerous man. Yeah, that's true. Yep. <laughs> now, as far as yourself, what would you say – 
when it's all said and done, if somebody's looking back at Ken Shamrock, whether it's wrestling, MMA, bare knuckle fight, what is the legacy that Ken Shamrock leaves behind? Oh, I would have to say that, you know, obviously being able to be on the top of both industries, very talented, a gifted athlete, um, but at the same time, um, I, and it's hard because I don't think, I don't even know if I'll be remembered, but I know the people outside of it will know that um, I was a person that cared about people. I cared about kids and at-risk kids, and I worked with them, and I gave them opportunities, and I gave fighters, uh, just like with this Valor Bare Knuckle, I gave these guys opportunities to be able to follow their dreams. I wasn't just a guy that went out and, and wanted to make sure that I was a champion. I was great. I also wanted to turn around and give back and give other people opportunity to do the same. Now, one last time, I've got to mention Valor Bare Knuckle Fighting 921 is the huge show out in Newtown, North Dakota at Four Bears Casino and Lodge. It's going to be on pay-per-view. Please give us one last plug for this huge, huge Bare Knuckle Fighting show and tell us why we should watch. It's Valor Bare Knuckle, September 21st at Four Bears Casino in North Dakota. Um, and the reason why people should watch is, in my, at least in my opinion, when we did Bare Knuckle early on, people wanted them to stand up, and they kept screaming it. But yet we kept putting gloves and adding rules, and pretty soon people just bought into what we were doing. And not to say that I didn't enjoy it because I did I was a submission guy, but now we're going to give people what they've always wanted to see. We're going to stand them up. I love it. And obviously, where can they actually see this? It's going to be on pay-per-view and everything. Is it going to be streaming and everything as well? Yeah, Fight Fight TV will be uh, the streaming, and then we've got In Demand, uh, and we got all the major cable networks. So we're, we, we have the availability, the same as the UFC did when they were on pay-per-view. We have all those connections. Now, for all those fans out there that want to – reach out and touch you. They want to find out more information. They want to, you know, read your social media. What are some of your social media plugs as well? Yeah. At, not at you. It's kenshamrock.com And I've got all my social medias on my website, but if you're interested in Valor BK in any aspect, fighter, ring announcer, judge, go to valorbk.com and you could check out, fill the form out and uh, tell them what you want to do. Or if you're just a fan and you want to read the news, valorbk.com. All right. Awesome stuff. Ken, thank you so much for taking some time and joining us today. Really appreciate it. And just remember, you are the world's most dangerous man. Now you're going to be the world's most dangerous president, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Ken Shamrock tonight, and I quit match yeah, against Stone. you step back and let me talk. Austin, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I quit. That's the only time you'll ever hear me say those words. This ain't about a title. You gotta earn a title shot against me. This is about who's the man. Who's the world's most dangerous man. You're looking at him. So, Austin, let's knuckle up. You know, and kind of segueing into, uh, into the pro wrestling world with Dan Severn also being in the, uh, in the, in the foreground, and you guys kind of continued your, your feud from the UFC into the WWE, then WWF, but never really got the opportunity 
to kind of do it on a bigger stage. Do you feel that that was a really missed opportunity on the WWE's part? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, you know, they, they know better than, than I do on what, what, what they can market and what they can't. You know, they're the, look what they've done. They know what sells. They know what will work. Um, so it's, who am I to say for them to, you know, hey, you should have put me and Severn together. Uh, that would have been a huge draw. Or, hey, you should have uh, put me in uh, the match with The Rock, chase him up to the heavyweight title. You know, that's just not that's not my place. Uh, you know, the fans can do that. They, 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 they can voice their opinion on it. And uh, I appreciate that. But for me to do it, it's just not who I am. I think that uh, I leave that up to the guys that know uh, how to do that the best, and that's the, the market and the matchmaking of the best. Yeah, and it seemed like in that point of the Attitude Era, that 97, 98, just around the time that you got there and also when, uh, when Dan Severn was there, you really ascended rather quickly uh, in, you know, in the fans' eyes and then also uh, on, into top spots on the card. But it also seemed that at the same time, The Rock was also ascending uh, to the top of the ladder. And I guess you know, his heel run ended up kind of superseding whatever they had done with you. However, I think personally it was a, you know, a missed opportunity because you had such momentum behind you. But with that being said, you know, what are your memories really of, of your time in the WWE? Do you reflect on it as a positive part of your career? Absolutely. I mean, it was tremendous. It taught me a lot. It taught me uh, discipline. Uh, how to manage my time, you know. Uh, it taught me that, you know, um, family is important. Uh, being away from them that long was not something that I wanted to do. It, it taught me to, to reestablish my life and do things where I, I could make more time for them. Um, it also taught me on how to uh, market myself, market my fights, and be able to get the fans to want to watch what I'm doing. Uh, it gave me a tremendous amount of, of understanding on on how the world works and how, what people actually want to see and to pay attention to that. But unfortunately, I guess, and in, in, you know, and I've heard some other interviews with you, politics played a big part. And right now, whereas somebody such as yourself could maybe hand, lend a, a large helping hand to the current landscape, it seems as if the current regime that are directly under Vince McMahon may not be the biggest fan of, of Ken Shamrock. And specifically, I'm talking about Triple H and the way he's going about structuring uh, the business under his watch. Uh, is there any... Truth to that rumor between Heat with you and Triple H, or is it at least on his end and maybe not yours? Oh, there's nothing with me, man. Uh, I learned a long time ago, man, that you know you get buried a hatchet. Uh, there's no reason to hold grudges or keep grudges. Uh, you know that only weighs you down. So I, there's no, there's nothing on my end. Uh, and uh, like I said, I don't think that uh, I don't think they think much of me um, on their end. So I'm not sure that there's even a problem there. I don't even think they think about it. So, uh, unfortunately, I, I think that it's a shame that they don't listen to the fans. I know what the fans want to be, I think that's a crime. You know, looking at your career, it's funny. A lot of fans don't realize that you were actually a pro wrestler first, um, which I think is kind of funny because everyone's like, man, he just jumped right from, you know, UFC, WWF. He's such a good wrestler, not knowing that you were actually a pro wrestler first. Can you talk about, right. uh, yeah, can you talk a little bit about who trained you? Yeah, I was uh, actually started out with Mad Dog Lassoy in Sacramento. Um, he just had to shoot on guys, beat them up, make 
quick, took their their sign up on it, and they tossed me a few bones here and there. Um, but I wasn't getting anything out of that. So then, after Buzz passed away, uh, I started seeking um, elsewhere uh, to train, and uh, my dad found a place in Mooresville, North Carolina, which was uh, uh, Nelson Royal and Gene Anderson had a school they were doing out there. And so I went down there and tried out, passed the tryout, and then uh, Nelson got his, his uh, organization up and running. And then probably six months later, I was carrying the strap. Now, after after that, obviously, you moved on to Japan, and you went into uh, Pancrase, and obviously you wrestled for, I believe, uh, UWF as well. What, what are your thoughts on working even wrestling matches and MMA fights in Japan and, and the crowd over there? Well, I'll tell you, it's different. Um, you, you, when you hear the crowd, it's quiet. You're, you think that your your match is boring, so you try to push yourself harder and harder, but the reality of it is that that's not the case, that they're just paying attention, and when you do something like a big bump or a big throw, they all go, ooh, and oh, all at the same time. So once you get comfortable and understand the crowd, then it doesn't become such a problem or an issue. One of the big guys in Japan wrestling today, basically a legend in the MMA world as well, and you know him quite well, Minoru Suzuki. Can you talk about some of the, your fights with him and your your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought he was a great uh, wrestler, um, a real good submission guy, but lacked in striking and didn't want to learn striking, considering the world was, you know, starting to go into the no holds barred in the MMA direction, and he didn't want to really know striking. I thought it was a huge mistake on his behalf because uh, he was in an organization in which they pushed to lone bolt, and I thought if he would have done that, I thought he could have done, he could have made that transition from the, uh, you know, pancreas world into the NHB world and MMA world because he did, he wasn't able to adapt and, and move in that direction. Now, talking about Japan, the great uh, Gaijin, as they were calling her, Gaijin, uh, Big Van Vader, who you ended up working with in the WWF. Can you talk a little bit about uh, wrestling Vader and working Vader and your thoughts on him? Yeah, Vader, uh, he stunk. His nose was just horrible. He never washed him, so like the stunk stayed on him for a month. Um, but and he, but he was good. I liked working with him because he was stiff, uh, and and he was aggressive, and so that that played well for me because I liked that. I liked it not to have any space or anything in between my style of working. Uh, so I really did enjoy working with him, and I love the aggressive style that we had. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.